Well, I see Ezra Glenn made it out today. That's just a little guy over here. <laughs> Strong name. I mean, he's got to be a prophet or something, Ezra Glenn. <laughs> I heard it from Ezra Glenn. <laughs> uh, Mike, good to have you back with us. How was Germany? Bring your wife and family home too, Mike. <laughs> it is good to have you back, though. Now we get the Bacchus back from South America, we could maybe have a congregation here. <laughs> we are a traveling group. Are we not, Mike? <laughs> this morning we're in Genesis chapter 27. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 29. Uh, we'll be looking at the deception of Rebekah and uh, Jacob to receive the blessing from Isaac. Rebekah, she has convinced Jacob Obey my command, son. Obey my deception. Because Jacob, he is afraid. He's afraid that his father will discover his deception. And instead of a blessing, he will receive a curse. Rebecca, she insists that Jacob obey her. And she says, and if there is a curse, let it be upon me. Strong words. Sometimes we don't know what we're asking for. There is a curse to sin. There is a consequence to sin. And uh, it always is played out. But first, let's read about the deception. Genesis 27, verse 17. Then she gave the savory fruit and bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, and he fell to him, and he said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now. And kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be anyone who curses you, 
and blessed be those who bless you. We'll stop right there. Jacob, before he comes near to Isaac, he has already determined, he has already justified the deception that he is about to pull off on his dad. He's already justified it in his heart. Jacob, without a doubt, he reasons, I am only doing what is right. The birthright, it belongs to me, and I will do whatever I must to receive it. And then we have what I call the age-old question. Do the ends justify the means? They never do. They never do. Rebecca and Jacob, they've already crossed that bridge uh, to do whatever they must do to receive the blessing. This whole charade began with Rebecca uh, telling Jacob, go get me two young goats from the herd and I will prepare them for your father. They are committed, Rebecca and Jacob, they're committed to their uh, what we would call infamous deception. And there are several lies that will go on here. And the first overt lie is there in verse 18 and 19. Isaac asked directly to Jacob, who are you, my son? And how have you found game, the wild game, how have you found it so quickly? Then we have Jacob. Bringing God into his lie. And Jacob says, because the Lord your God brought the game to me. It's bad enough to lie, but it's worse when we bring God into our lie. When I was a young man, and that was several years ago, there was a popular question that we would ask of someone telling us a story or if we were telling a story and we wanted others to desperately believe us and we would say things like swear to God that was in you if you swore to God then hey that was real that was true and this swearing to God was supposed to make us completely honest <laughs> it was supposed to make us believable Jacob has declared that God is part of this whole blessing that he himself desires. He says, the Lord your God brought it to me. Jacob is declaring God's favor is upon this blessing. Me having this blessing. It's a God thing, Dad. <laughs> and we hear that term thrown around. That happens to be taking God's name in vain. If you wonder what it is, it's attributing the things to God that are not true. It's called blasphemy in the New Testament. Jacob is linking God to his deception and his lie. Isaac is not convinced. Well, he's not convinced yet anyway. And he says, come near that I may touch and feel if you are really my son Esau. I have a question. How hairy is 
Esau. That a sheepskin, if you ever felt of a sheep, it's, they're quite hairy, by the way. Uh, how hairy is this little guy that when he came out of the room, womb, room, room, whatever, when he came out of the womb, that they said he's like a hairy garment. Now, you've invited people over to see your baby, I'm sure. How would you like to say, come over and see my red fur ball? You wouldn't want to say that. <laughs> that would be a little rough. And that's the way Esau was. He was a red fur ball. But anyway, Jacob, he is now all into his lie. And he's into his deception. And now he doesn't hesitate any longer with his answers to his dad. He lies quickly and believably. He is committed to do anything now to deceive his dad, Isaac. Isaac, he feels the sheepskin of Jacob on his hands and so forth. And he's convinced that he speaks with Esau. But he still asks the question, Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob says, I am. Isaac convinced. And I think he's convinced because he's not willing to believe that either one of his sons would directly lie to him. Isaac will now give what is not his to give. And that's the blessing he thinks to Esau. For God has already declared in chapter 26, verse 23, the older shall serve the younger. God is on record as saying the older Esau will serve Jacob. Isaac words in his blessing, they were as personal and they're as emotional as they possibly can be. Isaac eats and drinks and then he asks his son, come near and kiss me. Now Jacob is wearing Esau's what we would call royal priestly garments, the birthright clothes. And this is another sign to Isaac that this is Esau. And Isaac, again, he's as personal as he can be with his words and he declares, my soul blesses you. Soul in the Hebrew here is, is a word we, uh, that translates nefesh. And it means with my mind, with my heart, and all of my being, I bless you. Nothing being held back whatsoever. Isaac is full of emotion in this blessing. The only trouble is he doesn't know who he's blessing. Today, we hear things, we hear words like, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're really sincere. Yeah. <laughs> These type of words, this kind of wisdom comes from a person that has absolutely no absolutes 
in their life. They have no foundation of truth in their life. Isaac, he is as sincere as can be. He's full of emotion. This is his son and he wants to bless him. But Isaac is sincerely deceived. Isaac does not even know which son he is blessing. Now, it's critical for us to have a foundation of truth, especially in what we believe regarding salvation. What we believe regarding Jesus Christ determines where we will spend eternity. Our eternal destination depends upon what we believe as truth. Romans 10, 9 and 11, Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So it matters what you believe. Don't let the world pull that one on you. And therefore, or consequently, what we believe, what we really believe should be based upon something more than something that tickles our fancy. I can look at, for instance, reincarnation, and I can kind of get into that. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you move yourself up the food chain. Yeah, yeah, come back and be something a little better in the next. And I can kind of, you know, sympathize with that view to a degree. But it's totally wrong. It is not of the Lord. It is not in his word. So it doesn't matter if I kind of think that's okay. It's, it's a lie. And many people of our world today are unsettled in what they believe. They're unsettled in life. And they have a weak, very weak foundation of right and wrong. Talk to your friends sometime. Talk to your unsaved friends about right and wrong. And you'll be surprised, I venture to say. And the trouble is there are many churches today that no longer preach against sin. My dentist, I have a Christian dentist, he's a good man, and recently uh, sitting in his chair with all these instruments in my mouth, he wants to talk to me. Don't you love that when they want to talk to you and you go, <laughs> but he's wanting to talk to me. And uh, the church he attends has gone through a church split because their new pastor has the belief we, we no longer must strive against sin because we are all sinful. And trying to live a righteous life is frustrating. So give in to sin and don't be stressed out about it. Well, my dentist, he is, like I said, a good Christian man. And he couldn't tolerate that coming from his pastor, so he left the church. And basically, they had a church split because of it. But I feel for him. Let me just say this. Jesus died to free us from sin. 
not to coexist with it. We're not to be enslaved by sin or neutralized by it. Now, do we sin? Well, I'm afraid we do. <laughs> and thank God that we have repentance. Repentance is such a good thing. We are allowed to turn from our sin and go in the opposite direction. And that's all repentance is, to turn from it and go the different way. And I would just urge anyone that's battling against sin, don't make excuses for sin in your life. Repent of it and turn from it. Now I have a view of what I call the big picture. And in my view of life for us human beings, we have an opponent and it's Satan. And he has a twofold battle against mankind. First, he does everything he can to keep us from believing, from becoming a Christian. And I think that's one of his main goals and targets. Keep that person from believing. Once you believe, I think his method changes. And he does all he can to keep us from being fruitful as a believer. And one of his most used devices or tools is to neutralize a believer with sinful behavior. To neutralize us so much that we can feel so defeated, so frustrated, we can give up in our battle against sin. But Jesus told us, he says, you're my special people. Come out from among them. Come out from the world. Be separate. And all Jesus is talking about is sanctification. Let the Holy Spirit work in your hearts and lives a righteousness that is pleasing to God. Back to Isaac's blessing. In verse 27, he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and he blessed him and he said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Is that not very similar to the Abraham a blessing that he received from God back in chapter 12, it is. And it's ironic how similar they are. Isaac is beseeching God to bless Esau, so he thinks. In the same way that God blessed Abraham. But God in his providence and in his will is having Isaac bless Jacob. Now, God doesn't approve of Rebekah and Jacob's deception, but he does want Jacob to have that blessing. Isaac declares, may God give you plenty of food. Let people serve you, including nations, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Now, in Isaac's mind, 
He thinks that he has won out in his battle against God here. And he is convinced that his way of wanting to bless Esau is best. Does Isaac really think that his desires, his wants, are better than God's will? Yes, he does. I, I wish that were only true for Isaac. But that battle goes on in the heart of man all the time, every day. Where we think we know best for our own lives. Man, mankind, in his finite thinking, absolutely believes they know best for their own life, even above God. Let me tell you a little secret. The worst scenario possible for any Christian is for your will to prevail over God's will. That is the worst scenario you can possibly draw up. But unfortunately, that scenario is played out in the hearts and lives of Christian people all the time. For a believer to think he truly knows best for his own life, or even the life of those around him, can be, and many times is, a position of pride. There's no other word for it. It is prideful. We can be so convinced that we know best that we don't even pray over certain issues. Prayer never works its way into our decision-making process. We can actually avoid prayer because we really don't want to know God's will. The best decisions that I will ever make revolve around me listening to God and accepting and following His will. It's that simple. There is a country western song. Don't you love it when I bring these in? <laughs> Where a young man hears his mother praying. And his mother is praying that his crops will fail. Wow, what do you think that boy's out doing? <laughs> He's out sowing wild oats and his mother's praying that his crops will fail. In Luke 15, you may want to turn there, we have what I call one of the most beautiful examples of a father's love in Luke 15. And we'll, we'll read uh, 11 through 32. Luke 15, prodigal son. Luke 15, 11. I'll read a couple verses, then make comments. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. The wisdom of the father here, he gives his son the inheritance. 
in that day, in that time, he could have called for the elders of the city, come stone my son, he's in total rebellion. The father had that option. Many people don't realize that. But any son that was so obstinate to go to his father and say, give me my goods, I want to go off and do my own thing, the father could have pronounced a death sentence upon him right there. But he doesn't. Does the father know that this younger son will squander this inheritance? Without a doubt. The father knows it. Yet dad sees the necessity in giving his son this inheritance because he realizes that therein lies an important lesson for his son that he can receive no other way. Verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. This younger son He's coming face to face with the reality of the hard, cold, cruel world. And he's having to learn it in a way that only he can learn it. Has God ever took you through things that only you could relate to in that way? Well, he's good at that. And notice, no one gave him anything. What had his dad just done? His daddy just gave him everything. What a contrast there. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? When he came to himself, when he awakens, when he realizes that his dad loves him, and realizes that his dad was willing to give him everything, repentance enters this young man's heart. And here's what he says, verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's repentance. And the son needed to repent and the father needed to hear it. This attitude change was worth more to the father than all the riches that this young man squandered. He saw his son turn. The father is willing to pay the cost for his son to come to himself. This is where I think we err many times with a rebellious child. 
And if you haven't had a rebellious child, I'll lend you some of mine. We, as parents, are not willing to let them come to themselves. But that coming to themselves can be a long, painful procedure, allowing a child to understand the error of their ways. This father, he loves his child. He is out watching. He's in the field watching for his return. But notice this, the father would not chase after him. He allows this son to go through what he had to go through to learn his lessons from the cold, cruel world. And the father would not be part of that. Verse 22. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. The father, he is rejoicing. He throws a feast. They have a big barbecue party, and he declares this son that was dead is now alive. But the father had to allow this tragedy to happen to his son, he had to allow his son to be rejected and bruised by the world. And that's hard for a parent to do. All the father could do was patiently pray and watch for his son's return. But when the father sees him, he runs to him, more than willing to forgive and restore his prodigal son. But notice, he never chased after him. He never would be part of his sinful rebellion. And there is a big difference. As parents, as believers, we love our children and we love others. But you have to allow God to be God sometimes. You have to allow God to bring a person to their senses and allow, like the prodigal son, for him to come to himself. And that can be hard. It can be very difficult. And that is what is so commonly called tough love. But until the prodigal son came to himself, the father refused to go after him. He didn't chase after this son. He knew God had to do a work there. He refused to go and try to make life better for this son who's out there feeding swine. The father's patient love could not save his son until the son came to himself. And God was doing that. Now, you may be facing a prodigal son, or it could be a prodigal friend. It could even be a prodigal spouse. Didn't want to say that, did I? No. <laughs> the question really becomes then, are you willing to allow God to work in their heart and bring them to repentance, or are you interfering? 
Now, we are to be praying for that person, and we are to be ready to love them, and we're to be ready to restore that person, but we must allow God to be God, and we must allow him to do the awakening in a life. The older son in our story, he happens to be a prodigal also. <laughs> he just lived at home, but he was ever much a prodigal as the younger son. Uh, you can read the rest of the story at your own convenience. But Isaac, he did not love or trust God over his own will in the blessing of Esau. Isaac is determined in his own heart to bless Esau. Isaac, this man of God who started out so strong, how could he be so disobedient to God? Isaac lives another 35 years after this blessing, and I think it haunts Isaac till he dies how he was disobedient to his Lord. And so what do we learn from this? This probably is the most dysfunctional family <laughs> that you will read of in the Old Testament. We read that uh, Isaac loves Esau and Rebekah loves Jacob. A family that is split. A family that is what we would call dysfunctional to say the least. And then you have the disobedience and you have the betrayal that goes on with Rebekah and Jacob over Isaac. And you have the stubbornness and the lack of wisdom in Isaac. And I think the reason scripture records this for us is don't be that way. We are to learn from scripture. And I think this family is an example to us of how not to be. But yet it's recorded for us. We can't avoid it. It's there. We'll, we'll move on to the rest of Genesis next Sunday, but uh, let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. It's definitely a teaching of how not to be. <laughs> Father God, Forgive me when I try to persuade you that my will should prevail over your will. I know I do it, Lord. Sometimes without knowing, other times I try to simply convince you that my way is best. Forgive me for that, Lord. Lord, let us understand that you love us and that you're for us. If we don't learn anything else from Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, let us understand that you love us and that you are for us. So work out your perfect will in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. And when I become prideful and rise up against you and want to assert my will, I pray that you would just remind me of this story of Jacob and Esau. For Lord... I have learned that your ways are the best ways and that you love me and that you only want good for me. Help me to walk in that, Lord, and help these, your people,
to walk in that love that you have for them. We pray for this, Lord. We ask for this. And we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.